Well, good, good, good morning, Restore Church. I am excited to be with you this morning. Uh, Josh said, my name is Jonathan, and I'm from Virginia. So greetings in Christ from Chesterfield, Virginia. We're on a wonderful journey right now. Uh, my wife and I, my beautiful bride, uh, Jennifer, is here with us today as well. We're planting a church. Uh, this is probably very familiar to many of you in this room uh, as y'all embarked on that journey a couple years ago and last year launched Restore Church. We're part of the same tribe with Waypoint Church Partners. They're uh, launching us. And we launch April uh, of 2019, this upcoming Easter, we launch in Midlothian, Virginia. So I'm very excited to be with you this morning uh, here in Jacksonville. I tell you what, um, it's, been, it's been a pleasure getting to, to know Roger just a little bit. Uh, the first time I met him, actually, was a couple months ago. We were at a church planter retreat with Waypoint in Virginia, and he was up, and we spent a little bit of time together. And it was just a pleasure, just a few moments I got to spend with him. So when he gave me a call and, and said he was looking for someone to come this weekend as he was traveling, and preaching. Man, I was excited to, to take that opportunity and, and join you this morning here in Jacksonville. So thank you. Thank you so much for having us this morning. Um, today, we're going to be talking about three different journeys to the well. Uh, you just saw that little video talking about John 4, and I know your staff on your blog, you've been going through the Gospel of John. And today, we're going to sit on John 4, and we're going to look at three different journeys to the well. We're all on a journey to the well, and everyone here today is going to be on one of these three journeys. Uh, so you, maybe you come in this morning, you're like, hey, Jonathan, um, I wasn't on a journey to the well, man. I was coming to church this morning. I got work this week. Um, we're all on a journey. When you came in this morning, we're going to look at three different journeys, and you can fit in one of those journeys this morning. So if you will, join me in prayer, and then we're going to read some scripture, and we're going to dive right in this morning. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father God, we just, Lord, we just thank you. Lord, we're humble. We're excited to be here this morning to worship you in this place. Oh, Father God, may your will be done in this place this morning. And as we, as we look at your scriptures, we dive into the gospel of John, and we look at these journeys, Father God, speak to us in a way leave that, that we leave here changed this morning, uh, Lord, identifying a journey that we're on, Lord, and, and how it is that you're going to use that journey for kingdom impact. Lord, let your will be done in this time. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, I got to tell you, uh, before we, we, we jump in here to John 4, uh, Josh, dude, I didn't know you could totally wreck me with uh, you're beautiful. Like, <laughs> man, there he is. <laughs> dude, man, I love that song. That, whew, that one gets me. Um, so <laughs> compose myself before we get into here, man. Um, but yeah, oh, man, wrecking me with that one. But that's a great, great worship song. The Gospel of John. Chapter 4. If you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and get that out. If you got the Restore app, you can get it on there. We're going to have the, the scripture on the screen as well that you can follow along. Um, there's some Bibles that are available here as well um, that, that you can get, and they can pass those out if you need one. I think Josh has some there for you if you need one. But John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1 this morning. We're just going to walk through it. Now it's going to be a lot of scripture. Don't worry. We're not going to be here for five hours today dissecting all of it, but let's walk through it together this morning. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. And that was near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, 
and we, he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, uh, for you've had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. Uh, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with the woman. But nobody said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. She said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. And many Samaritans from her town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Wow. Man, there's a lot in there. Like I said, we're not going to go into all that this morning. We're going we're to pull a little bit out here, and we're going to look at three different journeys that were taking place right there in the Gospel of John. The first journey that we're going to look at is Jesus' journey. Jesus' journey to the well. You see, Scripture, it opens up in John chapter 4, and that first verse talking about Jesus being weary, weary from his journeys, right? He's trying to go to Galilee, and he's stopping. He, he's going through Samaria, and he's stopping at Jacob's well. And, and if you read the scripture, if you know historical context of what's going on here, some of y'all in here might be history buffs. You love studying history. When you read in scripture, go back to First Kings and you read about the, the separation of the tribes of Israel and the, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. There's a hostility that's going on here between Jews and Samaritans. It's been going on for hundreds of years before Jesus shows up at Jacob's well. You see, they were political rivals. They were religious rivals. They were cultural rivals. They despised each other. 
They were not friends. And even in John 4, the Samaritan woman's questioning him. It's like, what? you're a Jew, I'm a Samar- uh, Samaritan. What in the world? Why are you talking with me? Why are you interested in, in, in what's going on here? We see Jesus' journey to the well. He's going into hostile territory. The first journey to the well is Jesus journeying into hostile territory. He goes and he speaks the truth in love. And some of, some of you in here today... As followers of Christ, you're going into hostile territory. You're going to be going into places. You're going to be going into uh, territories that are going to be hostile to the gospel. Uh, They're going to be hostile to anything that you want to share about Christ, about Scripture. But we see Jesus intentionally going. You see, Jews in the day would avoid Samaria. They would go further, go across the river to get to Galilee so they didn't have to go. But he's intentionally going here because he knows someone needs his love. There's an encounter that's going to take place. And friends, if you're in here today as a Christ follower and you're on that journey with Christ and you feel called to go somewhere to share his love because someone needs that encounter with Jesus that's inside of you. Oh, friends, some of you in here this morning when you came in, you're in hostile territory. And you can identify as you're sitting there in your chairs, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe that's family. Maybe going and sharing your relationship with Christ to your family that's been hostile territory for you. Uh, maybe, maybe it's at work. Maybe, maybe with some of the other Marines that you serve with. Maybe at work where you're working at the bank. Maybe, maybe at the school that you're at. It's difficult. And it's been a hostile territory for, to share, for you to share your faith. Every time you open up about your faith to somebody, man, they want to shoot you down. And it's hostile. It's this hostile territory. But we see Jesus intentionally going into hostile territory to have an encounter with others. So this morning, as you came in this morning, like I said, you're on one of these three journeys. This might be you this morning. You might be sitting there and you're like, Jonathan, that's not me. That's not where I'm at in my walk with Christ and being intentional, going to hostile territory. That's all right. There's some other journeys we're going to look at. But this morning, as you're sitting in here as a Christ follower, this might be you going in to hostile territory, just as Christ did. Let's look at the second journey. The second journey that's taking place is the most common one that we kind of get from this story in John 4, and that's the woman at the well, the, the Samaritan woman in the midst of brokenness. And this is the journey to the well in brokenness. This is the journey to the well. We see the Samaritan woman coming, and Scripture says about the sixth hour, which is about noon, the heat of the day, coming to draw water. We, we see Jesus challenging her when, when he's asking her, hey, go get your husband. And she's like, I don't got one. He's like, yeah, you had five and the guy you're with now is not even your husband. And we see this brokenness. We, we, we see a little glimpse, a little picture into her life and what she's been going through. And we see her just coming to this realization, man, is this the Messiah? She's like, he, he told me all that I ever did. He knew about my brokenness. He knew about my life. He knew about my passion. He knew about my hangups. Friends, no matter how far off we feel. Jesus loves us. Friend, if you came in this morning, you came into this church, you came into this theater this morning, maybe this is the journey that that you're on, this journey in the midst of brokenness. Because as you sit out there this morning, you're like that hostile territory thing, sharing Christ with others, being intentional about going into hostile territory. That's not you. But when that brokenness came on the screen, you you could relate to that. Maybe you're sitting out there and you're in the midst of this loneliness. Maybe you're sitting out there like the Samaritan woman, you're thinking you got all this junk in your past. You got all this stuff that's been going on in your life. You're never too far for Jesus' love. No matter what weights you came carrying today, Jesus is the well that won't run dry. Oh, friends, 
You see, he's telling the Samaritan woman this. He's trying to share that with her, right? Because she's like, hey, we need the water. He's like, the water I'm going to give you is going to spring up from within you, this, this well of eternal life. And then she's getting like confused about this. She's taking like Jesus super literally. She's like, oh, I don't even have to bring my jar anymore, right? It's like, hey, give me some of that water. And she's like, no, I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about something different. I'm talking something inside of you. He's the way, the truth, and the life, oh, friends, in the midst of your brokenness. He's a well that won't run dry. You see, here's what we do in brokenness many times. We have an option. We have Jesus, that well that won't run dry, but many times we go to different waters of this world. Uh, see, many times we want to go to the bottle. Sometimes we, we want to go to drugs. Sometimes it's sex. Sometimes it's something else that we see that the world's going to offer that looks like that refreshing water to give us what we need, to satisfy what we need. Oh, friends, Jesus is the well that won't run dry. Those other things are going to run dry. They're going to leave you broken. They're going to leave you decaying from within. They're going to leave you broken and lonely and sitting over and saying, what in the world is going on? Jesus is the well that won't run dry. So friends, if you came in this morning and you're identifying with the brokenness, you're like, you know, Jonathan, I think that's the journey I'm on this morning. I'm living in brokenness. Brokenness in my relationships with my family, with my spouse, brokenness at work, brokenness all around me, loneliness. And you might be sitting out there and you're like, Jonathan, if you only knew how lonely I was, man, if you only knew my life and how broken I feel, how many times I sit by myself and I cry, how many times I sit over here and I don't want to do anything with anybody because I feel so broken. Ah, oh, friends, Jesus is the well that won't run dry. He is that which will satisfy from within. Don't believe the lies that the enemy wants to throw at us, that we can find satisfaction, that we can find that, 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 that water that's going to satisfy us. You see, I'm reminded, um, I know we have a, a lot of Marines in the room, maybe some sailors. My dad, um, I'm the son of a sailor. My dad was on some Marines for 20 years, and um, my, uh, my brother-in-law, he's a, he's a gunny sergeant in the Marine Corps, and he was actually down here in Jacksonville a few years ago. He's out uh, doing security um, at an Air Force base in Illinois now, but uh, I, I love studying military history. Indeed, when I was young, when I was going to, to college and studying to be a pastor, uh, I, prayed, I prayed long and hard about uh, going to the military as a chaplain. The Lord had a different plan for my life and called me on a different path as far as that goes, but I love studying military history. It's just something just growing up in a Navy house, man, it was like what we were inundated with. We loved, we had the books and we were just, dad would tell us stories and we loved it. And the story of the USS Indianapolis and some of you may, may know this story, right, from World War II. The Indianapolis is going overseas. They're going on a top-secret mission to deliver uranium in the, in the supplies, the mechanism for the atomic bomb. And on their return voyage, they get sunk by a Japanese torpedo. And, and we, we know the account from the chief medical officer, Captain Hayes. He records the account. It's in, it's in the Naval Archives, his testimony of what happened. See, he survived. But he talks about when the boat was hit and what happened in the fire and the fury and how he was injured, and then he managed to get into the water with many other sailors. So there was about 1,200 men on board. About 900 of them went into the water alive. And they're in the water, and he talks about his encounter in the water. And many of us can kind of think about the sharks. Maybe you heard the stories about sharks in the water while the Indianapolis and the crew was in the Pacific Ocean. But he talks about something different. He said he didn't really notice a lot of the sharks. What he noticed was the young sailors drinking water. They were so thirsty. They were so hungry. And, and he talks in his testimony how, how, how many of the sailors would, would drink that salt water. 
And as soon as they did, they would start to go fast because of the dehydration that would start to set in. He, he talks in his testimony how he would slap the young sailors and tell them, stop, stop drinking that water. And unfortunately, many of the men did, and they went. You see, that's just what the enemy wants to do with us. We can be surrounded in this brokenness, and we can feel like we have a crystal clear ocean of water around us. And oh, it's so tempting. It's so tempting. He's going to dangle something right in front of you that looks like that authentic water that Jesus is talking about. But as soon as we start to consume the things of this world, that's a hallucination. It's false. It's that bad stuff. And it can be masked so well as what you think you need. And it can give you that temporary satisfaction for that thirst. But it's only going to lead to that decay, that dehydration of your spirit. Oh, friends, he is the well that won't run dry. I want to encourage you. If you came in this morning and you identify with this journey to the well in the midst of brokenness, this morning, before we leave this place today, surrender that. Surrender that brokenness to him. We weren't made to carry that weight. We weren't made to carry that load. He conquered it for us. We just sung about it a couple minutes ago. He's the well that won't run dry. Let's look at the last journey this morning, this, this third journey to the well. And it's the journey of the Samaritan's woman in community. It's the Samaritan woman's community. You see, there's something really cool, really awesome that happens at the end of the story, right? It doesn't end with the woman at the well, and she's there with her jar, and Jesus is like, I'm the everlasting life. I'm the well that's not going to run dry. She does something about it. it. says, Scripture says she goes back to her tribe. She goes back to her community, to her village, to her town, and she shares this encounter that she had with Christ. Friends, you have a story to tell. Share it. Share it. You've got a testimony. Scripture says she went back, she shared her testimony, and what happens? It says many in the town came to believe in him, and then they're curious. They want to know more about this man named Jesus. Scripture tells us then the village is coming. Many of them are coming with her. Come, we must see this man, and they journey to the well. There's this third journey to the well. And this might be where you're at. You might be like, hey, I went through brokenness. I know what you're talking about. I had loneliness. I had brokenness in my life, but praise the Lord. He gave me the strength to overcome and restore me out of my brokenness. I'm not really at the point where I feel comfortable, you know, going into those hostile territories, but man, this, this is where I'm at in my journey, to go into my community, to go into my neighborhood and just share my testimony. You have a story to tell. Share it. Share it. First Corinthians tells us that, that we go through things, right? That we can comfort others when they're going through similar situations and challenges in their life. You have a story to tell. You're uniquely designed with purpose, intentionally created, and you've got a story. And you might be thinking, well, man, no one else can relate to me. Yes, they can. You never know what other people are going through. Other people that are going through the fights and the battles and the brokenness and the loneliness that you came out of, that you were going through, you've got a story to tell. Share it. We see the power of sharing, the impact of vulnerability and openness, what that can have on your community. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story this morning as we, as we complete this third journey and my journey with Virginia Rose. Um, I'm here with my beautiful bride, Jennifer. Uh, we have three kids, RJ, uh, who's the third, Richard John the Vandermark, the third, and he is now eight. Our little baby, Sam Sam, is five now, not so much a baby. He's going to elementary school this September, so woo, they're all going to be there. And do you have the picture of Virginia? There she is. That's my little girl. That's Virginia Rose right there. I'll show you a little bit about my story. So three years ago, um, Virginia Rose was diagnosed with cancer, acute myeloid leukemia, AML. She had pediatric AML, and she was diagnosed in April of 2015, and she ended up spending the next two months in the hospital inpatient at MCV in Richmond, hospital 
close to where we live in Virginia. She spent those two months in the hospital at MCV, and she went through chemotherapy, and and when she went in, she had 51% blast cells, cancer cells in her blood. And after her rounds of chemotherapy, it went from 51% to 50. It said effectively no impact, no results. So her body was going through the chemo, and we were going through the treatments, and nothing was working, and nothing was working. And then an opportunity came for her to go to St. Jude in Memphis, Tennessee. So St. Jude sent a medical flight to Richmond. Jennifer and Virginia Rose got on the med flight, and they flew to Memphis. I took a commercial flight out of Richmond and met them down there. I actually beat them there by a couple hours to get to the hospital. Oh, man, what a blessed place that is. Special, special place. So we got, to, we got to St. Jude, and we're at St. Jude, and those first couple days, we're getting settled in. They're running tests and diagnosis, uh, diagnostics on her, looking at her prognosis, and she's transferred to the ICU the second day that we're there. You see, the, the drugs that were used to, to kill those cancer cells, they didn't kill the cancer cells. They didn't break that cancer, but they did break something in my little girl. It, it broke her heart. You see, we got to St. Jude, and they were starting to do some more echoes, and all of a sudden, it started showing heart failure. I'm a little girl. She developed a fungal infection because her immune system was completely offline. They had to do surgery, but they couldn't do surgery. She had fever for so long. She wasn't responding to the treatment. She had the heart failure. They said, go, go back home to Richmond. We just got to St. Jude. The expectations were so high for a little girl. They said, you can go back to Richmond, be, be home, be with family. If you want to stay in Memphis, we can transfer you to Labonner Children's Hospital, which is wonderful heart, cardiac, pediatric, uh, cardiac specialty right down the road from St. Jude in Memphis, Tennessee. So the doctor left. He comes back about 30 minutes and said, hold on a second, we're going to keep her one more night. So we keep, they keep her that night, and all of a sudden, the, the fever that she had been having since she was at MCV, that fever broke. And all of a sudden, I said, all right, well, we'll keep her another night. That went on for the week, and by the end of the week, they were able to do surgery. They took her left lung out. Oh, and she bounced back. Her, her blood levels, her CBCs were, were at records that she didn't have when she was admitted into the hospital and diagnosed with cancer. So we went through those next six months in Tennessee. She needed a BMT, bone marrow transplant. And our little, our little buddy, Sam Sam, was a perfect match, 10 for 10. He, we, we, call, we call him her little twin, 10 for 10 match. So he's at, he's at St. Jude with us getting his test done, his blood work done. And Virginia Rose, we're, we're living in Tennessee now, and we're just waiting to get the green light for her bone marrow transplant. September comes, September 2015. They, they call me into a meeting. And for those of you that, that have been in hospitals before, you know they have their rounds. They come by and they give you, give you an update with the doctors. And they call me into a meeting, and you kind of know something's up when the doctors are there, but on top of the doctors, you've got the social worker and the chaplain. And, and you kind of know they're about to drop something heavy on you. So we're sitting there, I'm in this room, and her doctor's there, cardiologist and social worker chaplain, we're all in this room, and said, Jonathan, you know, we've been waiting for her her heart failure to to recover with the the treatments that we're doing. Her heart's looking stronger, but we add up all these pieces to her profile, to her case, and we can't do it. There's nothing we can do for you, little girl. We're out of options. I, I think the word devastated doesn't even describe how I felt in that moment. Alone depressed, anxious. What now? What do we do now when the best in the world say, there's nothing else we can do for your little girl. We've done everything we can. We stayed there for a little while. Make-A-Wish put a rush on her trip to Disney. She always wanted to go to Disney. So they put a rush on her trip to Disney. She got to Disney in October. We came back from Disney and November 1st, we came back home to Richmond in Virginia. 
And Virginia Rose spent two months at home with us. She had Chris, her community. They rallied around our family, and every week they would throw her a Christmas party in our front yard. Churches and, and members of the community would come, and they would bring a little presents, and they would Christmas carol in the front yard. And she would go to, to Richmond to get her blood transfusion. She was getting about three to four a week now. She was just eating through her blood products that she needed, platelets and, and rubbed blood cells. December 29th, at home, in her room, four days after Christmas, she passed away in my arms. It was really, it was really hard. You see, I, I, I was a worship pastor at a church. We had, we had her service on a Saturday, and that Sunday following, I was back leading worship, playing my guitar, and singing my songs. It's, it's what I knew how to do. And for those next six months, I did what I knew how to do. I met with my pastor, and we were walking this new, I, Jennifer and I were trying to learn how to live this new life without our little girl. And about six months after she passed away, the darkness began to consume me. That, that brokenness that I was talking about, that second journey to the well that the Samaritan woman had, that was me a couple years ago. You see, the darkness and brokenness began to consume me. And even as a guy up there leading worship, I'm just feeling brokenness and brokenness and brokenness. And it took me to a dark place, friends. It consumed me. So I went about another six months at the church, and it was just getting bad. And one of my friends called, a pastor at another church. He said, Jonathan, I know you're hurting. It's not, it's not good. Let's get you out of there. You need to get out of there. You need to get somewhere. Put your feet down. Take a deep breath. Provide for your family. So I resigned as the worship pastor, and I took a position at a church in an admin role, Monday through Friday, working in the office. It was a big church. So I went in and just did worship stuff in the office Monday through Friday. Didn't have any pastoral responsibilities at the time, just a time to heal and get my feet under me. That first weekend, I remember that first weekend, the church got a call. One of our sister churches need a worship leader for the weekend. I said, hey, hey, Jonathan, um, there's a church up in Mechanicsville, and they need a guy. Just They have two services, play guitar. They need someone to lead worship. So I'm like, hey, I'm off Sundays now. I'm, I'm Monday through Friday. I don't have any responsibilities. I can go up there and help them out. That's cool. So I went up there, and of course, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to help them, right? I'm going to go, I'm going to play my guitar and sing some songs, and, you know, it'll be good, kind of get back in a little rhythm thing, uh, do my thing, right? So we go through the first service, and we're doing our worship, having a good time, and then the pastor gets up, never met this pastor before, Greg's his name, and he's preaching, and he opens up the sermon, he has us get out a little piece of paper, he hands, they kind of go down the aisle and hand out these little index cards, like, get, get that index card out. I want you to write on this index card what it is that you've been praying about. Right, right, right on it. Just what, what is it that you've been praying to God? What have you been talking to God about? Just write it on the card. So I write mine on the card, and he goes through the sermon, and man, Lord's just, Lord's hitting me left and right. I mean, he's just, man, he's getting me. And we come back at the end of the service to the cards. He's like, go ahead and get those cards back out. You remember the ones I told you to write that prayer request on? So I've got mine in front of me. He's like, all right, I want you to get those cards out, and I want you to read what it is that you wrote on the card. And he asks this question. He says, does it start with I want? I look at my card. I'm like, yeah. It starts with I want. I wrote, I want my daughter back. And I'm sitting there in this moment, and now, of course, I'm starting to cry. And I can only imagine what the pastor's thinking, because he's got this young worship leader that shows up. We still got another service to do in like 30 minutes. He's on the front row bawling. It's like, okay, what's going on? Who did they send me? Man, that morning, God began to break the chains of brokenness in my life, friends. I went forward to the altar that morning at the end of the service, and I just surrendered that to God. The feelings of abandonment that I had, this brokenness, these chains that I was putting on myself, this weight that I had on my back that I was trying to carry, this grief, the sorrow, the pain, and brokenness in my life. And God began to heal and restore me from that moment. That was January of 2017, last year. And God began to heal and restore me. 
And he began to restore the call that he had on my life and my wife's life to, to be church planners, to start a new church in Chesterfield County, Virginia. Friends, you have a story to tell. Share it. God has taken you through things. You have been through journeys in your life where maybe you felt like you were up against the wall and there was nowhere you could go. You felt so broken and despised. You felt abandoned by God. You felt abandoned by your friends. You felt like you were that outcast with nothing to do. Friends, you've got a story to tell. Share it. You never know how your story is going to unlock someone else's life to help them cast off those chains, to take off that weight that they've been carrying. You've got a story to tell. So this morning, as we look at these journeys, these journeys to the well, going into hostile territory like Jesus was doing, coming to the well in the midst of brokenness, or going back to your community and sharing your testimony, sharing your story with others. I want you this week to just think about that. Think about what journey it is that you're on. Read through John chapter four this week and just let it speak to you. See how Jesus was working in this woman's life and then how he takes that to go and work in that whole community and radically changes their lives forever. Talking about that well. And think about your story. Now, some of us in here, you share your stories in different ways. Some of us can communicate verbally. We like to, we like to share verbally how our story. For some of us, we need to kind of write it down. And maybe poetry or short story, whatever form it is. And you like to kind of sit down and write it. Some of us are artists in here. And it's through musical lyric. Or it's through painting. It's through, it's through art. That's how you like to express your story. Think about your story. Where it is that you're on your journey to the well. And just this week, Think about how it is that God wants you to communicate that with others and then follow in obedience. But friends, if you're in here this morning, you're on that middle journey to brokenness. Oh, friends, I've been in brokenness. I know that darkness. I know it feels like there's nothing you can do to break those chains. Jesus wants to take that burden from you. It's that first step of surrender. Let's pray this morning. Father God, Lord, I just, Lord, we just come before you, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, just for these beautiful people in here today, Lord. Just, Lord, for the journeys that they're on right now, Lord. Lord, I pray that you just speak to them, reveal that to them. Lord, if they're in here this morning and they're on the journey into hostile territory, Father God, I pray that you just continue to give them the, the passion, the boldness to speak your truth, to speak your love. Lord, give them those encounters at the well. Lord, bring, bring those people in the midst of their brokenness to encounter them as they go into these territories that have been hostile to your word and to your love. Lord, give them the words to speak. Reveal to them where it is they need to go. And Father God, for those in this room that are Christ followers that are ready to share their story, Father God, let, let them identify, Lord. Give them the words to speak. Speak to them this week so that they can, they can begin to write down or learn how to share that story with others. And Lord, reveal to them the community that they need to share that with, whether that's at family, in their home, in their neighborhoods, at work, where it is that they need to share their story on their journey to the well. And friend, oh God, for those that are in here this morning that are in the midst of brokenness right now, they came into this theater this morning. They came here to restore this morning in the midst of brokenness. Lord, they came here this morning and they were fighting in the car just to get here. Oh Lord, just give them, Lord, the strength that only you can give. Lord, that they just cast off these chains, these weights, Lord, that, that they've been carrying, the darkness that's been surrounding them. Lord, whether they're in here and they're in the, the midst of grief right now because they lost a loved one, whether they've lost a job, wh whether they, they just feel abandoned, they feel broken, they feel lonely. Oh, Lord, loneliness is a tool of the devil. 
Oh, Lord, for those in here this morning that are in the midst of that brokenness. Father God, I pray they just surrender that to you this morning. Lord, that they cast that upon you, Father God. Oh, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for the opportunity to live in a place where we can worship like this. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters across the world that they can't. Lord, they're underground. Lord, they're hiding. They're under persecution, Father God, right now. Lord, I thank you for those, even in this room, as I think in this room, that have laid it on the line so we can worship in this place, in this movie theater in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the opportunities that you've given us. Let us never take that for granted to worship you and to share your love with others, Lord. Lord, let your will be done here at Restore Church. Let your will be done here in Jacksonville, North Carolina, in Virginia, Melothian, with Jacob's Well Community Church. Father God, let your will be done in our lives. Let your kingdom come, not ours. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.